When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. The Project Upland podcast is brought to you in part by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Adventure awaits. And by Onyx Maps. Know where you stand. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Project Open Podcast host nick larson thank you for joining us today for episode number 31 as always we're brought to you by pine ridge grouse camp and onyx maps this week's winner of the podcast giveaway jeff curtis happens to be the brother of our guest today a while back jeff sent me an email suggested i interview his brother for the show we did it you'll hear it today it was awesome jeff you got a project upland hat or t-shirt on your way very soon you could be next week's winner do any of these things to help support the show and make it better leave us a rating leave us a review subscribe to the podcast hit that subscribe button or send in some listener feedback commentary guest suggestions we love to hear from you and i appreciate it do any of those things you could be next week's winner of the project up on podcast gear giveaway on today's show, courtesy of our 
Onyx Maps web viewer, we head to the 47th parallel. We head north, northeast to New Brunswick, Canada. Today's guest is Jason Curtis. He is a hunting and fishing guide along the Miramichi River in New Brunswick, Canada. Jason has spent a lifetime chasing grouse and woodcock in the covers that surround the Miramichi River. And today, we take a deep dive and talk all about hunting grouse and woodcock in the far north Canadian province of New Brunswick. Hope you enjoy today's show. Without further ado, let's welcome Jason Curtis to the Project Upland Podcast. Jason, welcome to the Project Upland Podcast. How are you this evening? I'm doing well, Nick. Thanks for uh, thanks for chatting, and it's, uh, it's going to be fun. Yes, absolutely. As with all my guests, it is it is my pleasure to have you on the Project Upland Podcast. I thank you so much for joining us, and we'll have we'll have a good conversation today about Canada. I think this is going off uh, going off memory. This is my first. Our first trip, I should say, on the Project Up and Podcast to Canada. So that's pretty cool. Thanks for uh, thanks for being our first Canadian guest. Yeah, good stuff. Proud to be part of it. So, where exactly on the map can we find you, Jason? We're in uh, New Brunswick on the east coast of of Canada, and we border Maine. And uh, we are on the Miramichi River here in central New Brunswick, and uh, the Miramichi runs from the Kind of the southwest part of the province through to the northeast, and it's a it's a big river and uh, and drains a lot of the the province here, and uh, it's a it's a fun area. I mean, if you like fishing and hunting, it's you know there's no better place to be. Absolutely, yeah. So I see you now on the map here, northeast of northeast of Maine, far kind of far eastern Canada, and uh, looks like looks like a pretty big. Pretty big kind of bay there or inlet. Now the river, the river I imagine is draining out into the ocean. Is that correct? Yeah, it uh, like I say, it, it flows there and, and drains into Miramichi Bay, and, and uh, you know it's uh, it's you know world known for its uh, Atlantic salmon, and uh, and uh, you know we, we we do pretty well here, and and uh, you know we're heavy into the bird hunting as well, so it's it's a it's a good spot to be. So I know you do a little, you do some hunting and fishing, guiding, obviously, you, uh, you spend quite a bit of time in the outdoors. Let's, uh, before we jump into the bird hunting, let's talk a little bit about the fishing. June tends to be a pretty good fishing month, at least around here. What, where are we at in sort of the season cycle for you right now? Well, we're at just the beginning of our, our summer season here. Our, our first few fish start to trickle up the river here, kind of the last week of May or so, and and uh, there, you know, a few more everyday type things through this early part of June, and really by the fifteenth of June, till we start to see a pretty steady run of fish going by, where you know you could expect to see, you know, see them all the time type thing, or you know, fairly often. So it uh, heats up as the month of June goes. Uh, July is our big run of fish. We have a big, big, uh, you know, big bunch of fish come through here in July. Things kind of go quiet again throughout August, and then we have a fall run that that comes in here in mid September through till uh, early October. So, so it's a it's a lengthy season, and uh, and uh, you know some years are better than others, and 
Mother Nature plays a, a, a big factor in how things go here. And, and uh, you know, when it gets hot and dry like it did last summer, we can have long stretches where things aren't good. And, uh, but if, you know, if we get a, a cool rainy stretch, you know, we'll always have some some good fishing. So it's uh, it's uh, we're at uh, Mother Nature's mercy, I guess, for a lot of it. But uh, I guess that's not unlike a lot of the... Uh, lot of the sports i guess so yeah absolutely that's uh that's the way it goes for most of us we we are certainly uh i don't want to say victim but but we're subject to the conditions and and year over year year over year things change as you very well see now you spend a lot of time out on the river i'm not sure what exactly kind of country that river is going through but do you get to uh do you hear some grouse drumming in the spring can you give us a read on uh what anything you saw or, or heard out there this spring yeah, we have, I mean, just about anywhere you stop the boat in, in uh, the springtime here and drop the anchor, you can uh, you can hear grouse drumming. I mean, uh, there's certain pools we fish. Uh, one in particular on the on the Canes River, I fish all the time. I mean, there's there's one log there that, uh, you know, year after year after year after year I go there and, you know, never fails. There's a grouse drum in there when I stop the boat. So it's, uh, it's pretty neat. And like I said, we hear them, you know, our... Our gross population is, is pretty good here, and and, uh, and uh, you know, it's certainly fun to hear at that time of the year after a long winter. Yeah, hearing those birds are uh, quite a treat. Yeah, absolutely, that's for sure. Uh, now, I would imagine that spending that time on the river and, and hearing the grouse drumming, that's got to lend to lend itself a little bit to finding some, some pretty good spots to hunt. Yeah, for sure. We, we do hunt, you know, a fair number of the river bottom interval, interval type covers. And, uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a lot of fun to hunt. They can be tangly at times. Uh, some of the spots, uh, you know, the ice will get in there in the spring, maybe and flatten some stuff down. And so, it, you know, it can make for some challenging hunting by times. But, you know, one of the beauty things of the, of the, of a lot of those interval covers is, you know, there's really not a lot of access to them by by vehicle. So I mean, you can go by boat, and uh, you know, kind of be the only guy that's been there all season type thing. So it's it's it uh, has its advantages for sure. Yeah, yeah, those kind of covers are always always nice when you when you know that you're one of the few that can get in there. I've talked to a few people that do some chucker hunting out west, and they they will mention drifting drifting some of the rivers and, and getting into some chucker covers like that so so not not unlike that when you when you can get on the river and access a little bit different habitat that's cool well before we go too far down this road jason why don't you tell the listeners kind of a little bit about what keeps you busy every day and and why you get to spend so much time in the outdoors well i've been a, I've been a full-time guide here for, uh, this is my 30th season uh started Started uh, guiding full time at uh, 1988, so I've been at it a long time. I grew up with uh, with in the outfitting business. Really, my grandfather was an outfitter here, and uh, you know, like I said, I grew up with uh, fishing guests in the yard, and and uh, so it's you know been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. And and uh, you know, it's 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 why I'm here. Uh, really, it's uh, you know the river and the and the, and the birds. Um, you know, it's why I haven't, you know, moved to a city somewhere and gotten a, what I would call a real job and, and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, done things. I just, you know, once the, once this lifestyle gets in your blood, it's really, you know, there's not much, 
not much you can do about it other than than do it. So it's it's a lot of fun. So like I said, I've been doing it doing it full time, and uh, you know I can't imagine doing anything else. And and uh, you know we we do fish fish here all summer, and then our woodcock season opens here on you know September fifteenth. So we can start and dabble a little bit with, uh, with the woodcock then, and then grouse season opens October first, and and uh, so we can. We can target both after that, and you know it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so the woodcock season opens two weeks before grouse season out there. Is that correct? Yeah, we have a very strong population of resident woodcock here. I mean, we're the major nesting area, really, and uh, especially the central part of New Brunswick has a lot of woodcock, and uh, and uh, so you know they open the season in mid-September for us, and, uh, and it's great. I mean, it's, it's still very summery here, really, then. I mean, the leaves are still green at that point, and, but it's a good chance to get out and, you know, uh, you know, shoot a bird or two over a young dog type thing or kind of do some, some fine-tuning and, and uh, until, you know, the grouse season opens October 1st, and then we kind of go at it a little more serious. Yeah, that's uh, you, you. You touched on something I was going to ask you about. I was going to kind of ask you. You know, you're about the same, the same north south, and you know the conditions. Conditions here when when the seasons open up can can be like you said, summery and and have some of that warm weather. But it's interesting because for us, the the grouse season opens up a week before woodcock season typically, and so when you're when you're out. On that on that first weekend, you can run into a situation where you know your dog will point a woodcock and you flush it, and it's a, it can be a little tough to to watch that bird fly away because because you're you know you're excited it's it's early season and especially if the dog is if the if it's great dog work sometimes that can be can be a little tough to come by just because of the conditions. But sure. I, I'm thinking in my head now I'm reversing that scenario and I'm thinking about you if you're out there. What happens if it's got to be a lot harder to watch a grouse fly away if your dog, you know, if your dog nails a grouse in those first two weeks, you got a lot watch that thing fly away. That's got to be tough not to want to reward the dog. Well, it, it's extremely tough, and as weird as it is, I mean, you know, I always joke, I, we always get our best shots uh, during those last two weeks <laughs> of September. I mean, you know, straightaway birds and, you know, the grouse type thing, and, and uh yeah, just pull your hair out and grit your teeth and curse and swear a little bit under your breath. And, and uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's it's tough for sure. I mean, we that happens, you know, regularly, and it's, just shake your head and say, "Why can't that be next week?" And and uh, you know, if you go back next week and the birds are busting, and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's just, just the way it goes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's you know, that's another thing I've noticed. I'll, I will get out and run dogs in the spring, and Sure enough, that's you know I seem to every every grouse I my dog points and and I flush seems like oh my gosh that'd be you know just a layup if if this were in the fall. Yeah. But I I imagine some of that is some of that is mental and some of that is that I'm I'm watching the bird with a little bit different attitude and a little bit less pressure on myself as I I've got a probably a camera in my hand instead of a gun so it's probably probably not all real but but they do seem to uh, they do seem to sometimes know that you're not carrying a gun. Yeah, no, there's no question. I'm, I'm the very same way. I do a lot of, a lot of preseason stuff, you know, in, in the covers with the, the camera as well. And it's a, 
yeah, it's fun to do, and it's uh, like I say, you, you, you see some nice shots at that time. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we've talked a little bit about kind of kind of what you're doing today, but I always like to rewind and figure out where it started. Now you mentioned that you grew up with hunting and fishing. You were brought into it. It was a family family thing. But I'm curious, where did the upland hunting start for you and, and kind of how did that develop into the passion that you have today? Well, uh, you know, like I said, I grew up as a, you know, a bird hunter like everyone else here. You know, we kind of walked the roads when we were kids and, and uh, you know, chased grouse around with pellet guns type thing when we were, when we were kids here. And, and uh, so I always had a strong pa- passion for birds. And uh, But it wasn't really until I went to work at a lodge here uh, in Doaktown, which is a community about uh, 15 miles upriver, I guess, from, from the Blackville area that I live in. And it was a place called Old River Lodge. And, and, and those guys, uh, the owner, Alex Mills, uh, he was very influential in my upland uh, career, really. I mean, I, I went there as a kid and, uh, you know, uh, you know, not having much exposure to hunting over dogs type thing. And, uh, and uh, so I went there as a, as a fishing guide and, and, uh, you know, those guys were into the bird hunting and, uh, you know, I went with them a few days and, and, uh, said, you know, this is, this is something that I want to do. And, uh, you know, those guys really, really helped me out. And, and their head guide at the time, Marty Stewart was a good, to this day, one of my good buddies, uh, you know, he was a, a guide there at the time and, uh, really, you know, kind of between Alex and, and Marty really showed me, uh, ins and outs of, of, you know, upland hunting and dog training and, and all that back, you know, back then. That was in, yeah, 88. And, uh, and you know, those guys, like I said, I, I owe them a lot because they, they uh, kind of really got me got me going. You know, I always, you know, we'd, we'd see woodcock. We would we would jump woodcock around the, the fields here and stuff. and But it wasn't really till I, I went there and started to, you know, seeing how things were properly done, uh, you know, before I, I really, you know, got myself a dog and said, you know, this is, this is something I want to do forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, you know, I think we all probably, well, hopefully we, most of us have, you know, that person or two that we can kind of look to and, and say thank you either to their face or kind of in our minds and in, in that those people that, that introduced us to the sport. Cause it's, it does. It usually takes somebody to kind of lead you in that right direction, and and you know you can only be thankful for them because when it when it develops into something uh, of a passion like like I know that you have and like I know that I have, it's it's definitely something to be thankful for. Yeah, and like I say, no question. And then uh, I say Alex was uh, you know just an extremely influential person for me. Uh, like really. You know, as a kid going there, really to work at 18 years old, and you know, you know, shouldn't have uh, you know put as much time into me as he did, but he must have saw that I, I had the passion, and uh, you know, really, uh, you know, gave me some 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 great advice and counseling on, on what to do with the you know with the hunting and how to handle dogs and what what to look for in covers and you know, what not to look for and just uh, the whole you know top to bottom type type thing. So. And within a year or so, I was, you know, using 
you know, the, the uh, camp dogs type thing and, and uh, you know, guiding bird hunters and, you know, getting, you know, gaining confidence and, you know, learning how to do it and, and uh, you know, just kind of blossom from there. And, you know, I got my first Brittany, I think, uh, that next year maybe. And, and uh, you know, again, with the guidance from, from, from Alex teaching me, you know, how to, how to train it and help me train it and, and, you know, do what needed to be done, you know, so I wouldn't, you know, ruin the dog by doing stupid things. So, <laughs> so it, it, uh, it, uh, it was, it's been great. Like I say, it's been, it's been great. So that's a great segue because I was going to ask you when the, when the dogs came into the picture. Now I know you run dogs today and you mentioned, you mentioned Brittany's, is that what you have today, and and what led you what led you down that route? Was it was it that that's what was used in camp, and and you just had an affinity for them right away, or did did uh, something else go into that decision? No, the 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 camp dogs were English setters, and they were they were great. I mean, they were awesome dogs, and you know they were they were a lot of fun to hunt with. And I'm not really sure, but I I, I just knew at the time if you know when I was going to get a bird dog, it was it was going to be a Brittany. Uh, it just had that. Uh, you know, from reading old, you know, magazine articles type thing as a kid and reading some Gene Hill stories and, and, uh, and, uh, just, you know, for whatever reason, I, I wanted a Brittany and, and uh, I've had them ever since and, and, uh, you know, wouldn't trade them for the world. What do you, what do you like, what do you like about the Brittany's that you've had and, and, and what do you, specifically kind of, what do you like about, about hunting with pointy dogs? Well, the, the the Brittany for me is just a, a perfect dog. I mean, it's it's uh, it's they're manageable manageable around the house. I mean, our dogs live in the house with them with us. We have three have three females here, and uh, you know they're they're sleeping on our on my couch right now, and uh, and you know they're they're just a good manageable dog. They're they're good size. They're they got good stamina. They'll they'll hunt. You know, they'll hunt all day if you want them to, and they'll sleep all day if you want them to. And, uh, and, uh, for, you know, for me, that's just a, a perfect fit. And, um, and, you know, also trainability as well. I find them very quick learners. Uh, they, they, uh, they've been, for me, very easy to train. And, uh, you know, they've, they've, uh, they're just, just a fun, very personable dog. They seem to, they can almost talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're good. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I've, I've spent a lot more time. I'd say in the last five years, I've spent a lot more time around, around bird dogs than I ever had in the past. And and I think, I think they just, they tend to be so smart that that you get a lot of the same. You get a lot of that. A lot of people say the same thing in that like you said, you know, they can almost talk and, you know, they're, they're very good. I think at, at communicating in, in the ways that, that they can with us. And I think, you know, bird dogs probably tend to be a little bit, a little bit more intelligent and, you know, if they're, they're coming out of good genetics and, and, and they're bred that yeah. way, they're, you know, they're bred to be smart. Oftentimes they're, they're too smart for us and <laughs> too smart for their own good, but, but that's, it's yeah, part of what sure. makes them so lovable. I think. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree a hundred percent. And like I said, you mentioned that you know coming from good stock. That you know for me that that means so so much. I mean uh, this last Brittany I got a couple years ago, uh, 
you know, she's just an absolute little rock star. I mean, I, I can't believe how, how uh, you know, quickly and, and you know, I, I got I got her in April. Oh, she was born in April. I got her long weekend in May, and I was guiding her with clients in October. Uh, you know, just just incredible, uh, you know, progression and uh, and just you know, like I said, they're just just a, a great little dog for me for sure. Yeah, that's that's that that kind of brings up an interesting question too because your dogs are guide dogs, so they're spending a lot of time in the woods in the fall. Which obviously, I've I've heard this many times. I'm sure you have grouse grouse contacts will make a grouse dog. The more to, the more the more time a dog spends in the woods, the better a bird dog it's going to be typically. So you, I know your dogs are getting out in the woods a lot in the fall, but outside of that, what's kind of your program? You know, you you you've got a younger dog. How do you how do you bring them up? Do you do a lot of running in spring? I mean, is it a lot of wild bird contacts? Do you have a do you have a program that you like to kind of work your dogs through? Uh, you know, I, I don't do much in the spring to be honest with you. I, I, I'm so weary of nesting birds that I just sure. I just stay. I really just stay away from the cover covers until like mid July type thing towards yeah. the end of July. But for me, the August first is kind of my my official start the upland season for me I, once uh, you know the first of august comes i kind of my whole mentality switches from from salmon to birds <laughs> and uh, awesome. and uh, i'm just uh, you know I'm every every half day i can you know get a chance i'm you know loading dogs in the truck and i'm i'm out running covers and you know scouting new areas and trying to see what's what's around for birds and you know, we're trying to look for new cover, which is you know a never-ending process. You're always, are always uh, looking for new spots, and uh, and so I start, like I say, the first of August, and you know, in the mornings when it's cool, and, and get out and and uh, you know start start getting the dogs in shape type thing, and, and uh, getting as many birds under their noses as we can. And like I say, we're fortunate that we got a very strong population of resident wood- woodcock here, so. You know, we can. I got my little training covers type thing in the in the area here, and I know that I can, you know, pop into the, uh, this cover, and and that there's going to be five or six woodcock there, and uh, you know, so I can pop one dog into that, and you know, I can go down the road to another little spot, and, and uh, you know, pop another dog into there for five or six birds, and and uh, so we're very fortunate to have that luxury you know, at my doorstep, basically, and, and that's just so, like I say, it makes such a difference to your dog, or a guy, you know, you know, a, a lot, and you see guys that come with, with, with dogs, and, you know, start hunting on a Monday morning type thing, and, you know, the dog is rusty, you know, it's just because it hasn't gotten out, it hasn't had much exposure, sure. and, uh, you know, by, by Friday afternoon, uh, you know, that dog is just, wouldn't even know it's the same animal you know just from a just consecutive days of of, you know seeing good numbers of birds and and uh you know it's just it's it's incredible to watch yeah yeah again it goes back to that intelligence thing where most most of our most of the dogs that that we're i think working with you put them in the right scenario and and you consistently put them in that scenario they're they're going to they're going to learn and they're going to improve and and it is fun to watch like you say yeah, and for me, I mean, as far as you know, that's that's what it's all about is just getting out there every day that you can, 
and uh, just getting as many birds under the dog's nose as you can, and and uh, and uh, you know just letting letting the, the intelligence of intelligence of the dog take it from there, and it's uh, it's it's great fun to watch for me. I mean, working with a young dog is is as good as it gets. I mean, I love 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 watching a young dog figuring stuff out. And uh, you know, learning the ropes type thing, learning how to handle birds and how to how to work a cover type thing, and it's just it's so much fun to watch. I mean, uh, if I if I never fired a gun, it wouldn't matter. Just watching the the dog do do their thing is uh, is so much fun. Like I say, yeah, yeah, I, I, you've got an interesting perspective over myself, and that you've been at it you've been at it longer than me, and I'm I'm on my first bird dog right now, and I. You know, I, I'm I'm four years into this thing, and I you know I look back and laugh at at you know some of some of my you know my fears and doubts as as my dog was coming up and learning and developing, and I'm 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 really excited where he's at today, and and I'm also very excited for my next dog to sort of watch that process over again through through a different lens, you know, in that somebody who's been there before and, and seen it, you know, it's one of those things that only comes with time and experience and you got to learn from your mistakes. And fortunately I, I didn't make any mistakes that were, that were detrimental. And I think that's probably everybody's yep. b- biggest fear, but I think it is pretty tough to do. It's, you just gotta, you gotta demonstrate a little bit of patience most of the time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we all have those days where we, we walk out of cover with a young dog and, you know, holding our palm to our forehead type thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, yep. what happened, what happened there? I mean, uh, but, you know, you just go home and shake it off and go back up the next day and, you know, all is forgotten. And, uh, you know, that, that, that type of thing is, is, is what it's all about. Well, like I say, watching those young dogs transform and, 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 and learn is, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and one one way or another, whether it's whether it's curling up at your feet at night or or putting a putting a paw up on your leg, they're pretty good at making you forget about their mistakes, aren't they? Yeah, no, there's no question, <laughs> no question. Yeah. So here's another yeah. interesting question: being that your dogs are guide dogs, what do you what do you expect of them and like to see out of them in the field from a from a steadiness? perspective are we talking steady to flush steady to wing and shot what do you like to see from your dogs uh you know to, to, to be honest i i you know steady to shot uh, well, wing and shot is is you know very important for me i mean that's okay. that's that's i i i i i'm not very strict on you know, once the shot goes, the dog can can, can run. I'm sure. saying I'm not. I mean, I, I'm not one that's going to go have to tap the dog to release some type thing or, or 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 give a command. So for me, you know, the the bird flies the shot. You know, he's got he's okay to he's okay to 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 move on type thing, and you know, hopefully go for the retrieve and and uh, or on to our next bird. So. But uh, like I say, you know, the uh, the point is everything. I mean, it's 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 getting that steadiness and being able to, to to hold until you need to get there. I mean, our covers here are very thick in a lot of places, and uh, you know, uh, even though the dogs don't range that far, you know, they need to be able to to be there when you get there, type thing. So, so it's uh, that, that steadiness is. 
is what it's all about for sure. Cool. Yeah, I'm. All, I'm always just curious, especially when when we're when we're talking guide dogs because it's it's a little different. It's a little different than than a, a guy just going out and hunting himself over his own dog. So it's there are some other there's some other factors at play when it comes to safety and and manners and and everything. So I'm always interested in that. Now you you did mention range and. I I don't like to dissect range too much because I think it's such a such a gray area. But I am just curious. You said your dogs don't range too far. Do they have do they have kind of like a little pocket that you like them in? Uh, you know, how does that look like? What does that look like? Yeah, I, I like keeping them very close. I mean, for me, it's it's uh, you know I, I I I keep them very close. Within thirty yards would be would be you know the furthest out for me. I mean okay. that's and uh, I say our, our covers are. They're thick here for the most part, and so it's slow going. And uh, you know, a lot of the clientele is older, and uh, you know, a lot of those guys are not, you know, not quick to get through some of that tangly stuff. So, if the, if the dog is too far ahead, even you know, holding point for a while, it's uh, you know, sometimes you just don't don't get there, especially if it's a grouse. I mean, they'll, sure. they'll hold for a bit, but they won't hold forever. And, even our woodcock. I mean, we're seeing more running woodcock now than we ever had, and and uh, and uh, so I like to keep them very close. And and uh, you know, I start with that from from day one type thing, and and uh, when I'm training, and and uh, you know, I really keep them in tight. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's definitely definitely never hurts to get to the point as as quickly as possible that that uh, generally improves your odds so that that is yeah. completely understandable yeah for sure I, I don't i'm not a big fan of the the beeper collar as well i just i just use the bell so you know with with, with only the bell and not the, the locating collar you know you got to be you got to be pretty close i just for whatever reason i don't like the the aesthetics of the, the the beeper. I just kind of like the traditional, you know, listening to the bell go, and and, and uh, I just prefer that myself. So, so you need them in pretty tight if you want to find them. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I may have forgotten to ask, but I'm I'm always curious about that, especially when we're talking grousewood stuff. So you run a bell, no beeper, any GPS no. collar, or kind of no need with your dogs in that close. Yeah, there's really no need here. I mean, like I say, our, our, our you know, we we keep. I, I know, you know, I have friends that that, that run GPS collars type thing on some of the bigger running pointers and, and setters, and but I mean, uh, I just don't see the, the the need for it. I guess maybe if my dog chased a, a deer or something down through the woods and got away on me, then I guess I'd be sure wishing I had a a, a GPS <laughs> collar. But yeah, you might have one the next day. Yeah, I'm knock on wood that hasn't happened yet. So, so uh, you know, like I say, I'm just kind of a, a bit of a traditionalist that way, and and uh, and uh, you know, I don't have a lot of hardware hanging off the dog for sure. I do, I do though use, I, I do put a uh, knee collar on the dog uh, just just in case, uh, you know, of a porcupine or or you know something you know, chase us up towards the road type thing and you need to turn the dog, uh, you know, quickly and, you know, things happen. So you need, so I do, I do run a, an e-collar on the, on the dogs at all times. You know, most of the time I've forgotten even to turn it on. And, uh, but, but, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, I do put them on it just for, just for that extra safety factor, just, 
just in case. Just in case. Yeah, I think in this day and age, I, I personally, I'm sure there are people, but I personally don't know that many people that, that don't run an e-collar just because I think they have gotten so good and they're so, you know, you can really dial them in to, to the right stimulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like you said, it's, it's a real good safety net on the dock. Well, you, uh, so, so there must be, uh, there's obviously porcupines out there. Uh, do the, do the Brits get into the porcupines at all or, is, or, uh, knock on wood again? Well, I had one, uh, one, uh, in- instance of must be 10 or 12 years ago up on the Canes River one, one, uh, afternoon and, uh, get into a porcupine and but thankfully it was just a brush on the cheek type thing so was able to you know I always carry a little little folding pliers type thing with yep. me and was able to pull the eight or ten quills out that was in the the cheek type thing so it was was pretty uh pretty uh smooth that way but you know we just we do see them I mean we we see you know four or five every fall type thing and sure. you know some of the old covers and and just, just, I'm always weary of them. I mean, it's just something that, that can, uh, things can, can go bad pretty quickly. Um, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's transition a little bit. I want to talk about cover because we've, we've mentioned it a little bit and I'm always fascinated in, in how grouse and woodcock cover can really change and look different sort of across those two birds range. So what, what generally does the cover look like out there and, and what are you hunting? And we, we chatted a little bit yesterday and talked about something that I want to dive into that's kind of really unique. But but what is what does the cover look like generally out that way? Well, like I said, we got really three different types of cover that we hunt here. You know, we're still hunting, um, you know, some of the old farms type thing. Uh, we have, you know, some parts of the province here, you know, there's a lot, a lot of old farm cover still. It's actually, there's, there's farm cover that I've been watching for a few years that that's still too young to hunt. I mean, it's just kind of it's growing up along the edges, and you know they're still watching that type thing, and maybe another year or two away from from you know being productive. You know, we have some some of our older farm covers overgrown and filled in, and you know not really huntable anymore. So we do have a lot of farm cover we hunt. We're we're we get into the you know the clear cuts a lot as well. Um, the uh the uh all the new cuts that are you know growing up with young aspen and popple uh you know just tremendous woodcock cover for us and uh, actually the very best cover that i that i hunt my ace in the hole type thing for the week uh you know when, when guys are up is an old firm that grew up the old fields had grown up and then were clear cut and then come back in young popple so you have the soil from the old farm fields there, you know, and, and then the new growth of young popple coming up. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that place is just, just on fire for woodcock every fall. Sure. I mean, it's just absolutely, uh, it's kind of the, the, the place that will make your week type, type cover. And, uh, and, uh, and then we have the river bottom, uh, in, interval type covers as well that, that we hunt and uh, those can be very productive I mean they're always you know damp moist covers type thing uh, but like I said it can be tangly and some of them can be you know, a little tough access to get them a lot of alders in there them. yeah a lot of alders and hawthorn tangled together type thing so I mean great 
great numbers of birds in them, but they can be they can be tough to hunt. But uh, but uh, like I say, you just got to pick your pick your client type thing, and you got a guy that's able to bust through it, and we take him. And you got you got a guy that can't, and we go somewhere else type, type thing. So yeah, so those are the three main spots that we hunt. Like I say, the uh, but it's uh, you know the, the, the popple covers the the clear cuts. You know, they're they're probably our, you know, you know they probably hold the most birds for us really right now. Yeah, you know, and especially when the flights start coming through here in the middle of October, we stay. You know, those are spots that gather a lot of birds for sure. So, yeah, yeah, that's definitely consistent with what I see. Those, especially the especially the really large the really large aspen cuts that maybe don't have a lot of uniqueness to them. They can almost be considered kind of real kind of monoculture. They tend to be great, great layover spots for, for migrating woodcock. And we see that too, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, those spots are tough. I mean, in a way, because you can get a big, you know, say a, a 50 acre cut, uh, or maybe even hundred acre cut. And, uh, you know, there's a, a bunch of birds in one corner of it. Yep. And, uh, Exactly. It can, it can take it can take a while to find them for sure. I mean, they're not always in the same corner either. So, but, uh, but when the flights are are moving here and you know late in the season, you know that's 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 where we are most of the time and trying to find those those pockets of birds and those covers. So the woodcock little little kind of sidetrack here. The woodcock thing is interesting because it it everybody everybody you know from a geographic perspective different areas have different different uh peaks of the flight and that's always it's always an interesting conversation i think that comes up every every fall when are the woodcock flying and on all the factors that go into it if you had to if you had to kind of stamp you know stamp bookend a week or so when generally do you think you you see peak activity on a on a on an average year given that we're talking about something that <laughs> there almost is no average year well, you know, and then the weird thing about it is over my 30 years here in the covers, it, it's really changed significantly over okay. over that time frame. I mean, when I first, you know, started out, you know, if, if you know, if you weren't in the woods by the second week of October, you know, you've, you've basically missed most of the birds. And, uh, you know, that's really changed here the last, uh, the last really the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, now it's really the last 10 days of October is probably our, our peak flight time. Okay. You know, a full, a full two weeks later than it was 25 years ago. I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, seen a, a huge change in that. So right now, I mean, our, you know, our, our best dates right now are, you know, from the 20th, 20th of October to the, you know, 25th, 27th, that range there. That's, uh, that's our prime flight week i mean uh, depending on how things went with the weather earlier on in the month there yeah. birds can still be around in good numbers and the flights are starting to move through from the north and uh and uh, it can be uh you know lights out i mean uh you know 50 60 70 bird day is not that uncommon sure. uh, during those during those uh, stretches i mean it's really not um but it's you know it's just it's just too bad it's such a short season really in a lot of ways I mean it's just uh, things happen so quickly and uh, you know but but that's you know like I say the last ten years or so that's that's been our our, our best time.
and, and we've had good shooting well into November. Our season closes here on for Woodcock on the 15th of November. Okay. And uh, a lot of years we can have good shooting right up to the last day. I mean, they're just depending on, on the weather last year now was, was one of those years. We had a just, just a horribly hot fall all through October. I know the guys that we had here on the third week uh, last year, we were, you know, we were done hunting most days by, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon type thing. Cause it was just, just so hot and humid. And, and uh, so, you know, our birds really held on last year. I mean, they, 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 their flight birds can move down from the north a little bit and settled in here and just didn't go any further for a long time. And, uh, and, you know, and then that does change every year as well. We can have a cold snap here on the, on the end of October and, you know, there's not a woodcock to be found after that. It's just, it's just, uh, just depends on the, on the year it changes every year. But, but, uh, but that third week is definitely the, the go-to week. Like I say, and then even, you know, up until, right up to Halloween, I mean, that's, uh, that's the best of it for sure for, for flight birds and, you know, resident birds are still kicking around too. Yeah. Yeah. You, you guys, so you've got a, you've got a little bit longer season than us too. In the, in the States, it's, it's a 45 day season. And I believe the way that it works is each state has the, has the rights to determine when that 45 days is, but it's a federally regulated okay. thing. So it looks like you've got a, you got a full two day or two month season on Woodcock, but, yeah. but that makes sense. You've got the, you got the migratory birds and then, and then I would imagine some years, the woodcock are all gone before the end of the season, but but other years yeah. they're still there when you get down to the end. That's the same way that it is here as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so as a guy that yeah, spends so much time out in the woods, you must have a lot of buddies maybe down in down in Maine that they're always calling you to, to try to get a heads up when the, when the birds are moving. Yeah, for sure. I, I, uh, I, there's no question. I have a lot of a lot of contacts. A lot of a lot of people sending me, you know direct messages on Facebook and Twitter, that type of thing. You know, what are you seeing for birds? Are they coming our way yet? Sure. And, uh, and, and that's great. I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's all, it's all part of it. The Upland fraternity, as you know, is, 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 is small, really. I mean, and, yes, sir. and, and, and uh, you know, everybody knows everyone. I mean, it's, 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 it's very small. The guys that come up here, uh, you know, they, they all, you've mentioned a name from someone you got it before and, 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 uh, you know, they, they were at a dinner with them the year before, or, you know, it's just a, it's a small fraternity. And, and, uh, so, you know, we all kind of stick together and, you know, we'll help each other out for sure. All right. Let's, let's jump back to the, to the covers a little bit, because I, I can't, yep. I can't let, uh, let the farm covers go that easy. That is that is kind of the stuff of legend, the old overgrown farms. I mean, that's what you read about in the classic New England grouse shooting books and very cool. Now, when you talk about those farms being abandoned and reclaimed, I got the impression that they're not coming back to Aspen Popple right away. What do they, do they overgrow with alders and, and sort of a mix? And then that Aspen comes over when they're, when they're cut uh, well, yeah, they they come back in in a, in a mixture for sure, but they they usually you know when the fields get get left, they usually start creeping in on the edge with alder and popple. Okay. On, on, you know, they they kind of work their way, and then you know you can get some spruces mixed in type thing. So you know, as the years go on, it kind of just keeps you know getting a little more closed in every year, and the edges get get deeper type thing, and 
you know, then, you know, you can get, you can get a, you know, a good lifetime, well, not a lifetime, but a, a good lifespan out of, out of a, a cover like that, for sure, when you, when you're, you know, you, you know, and you're watching it and, and, uh, you know, there's always a, a part, maybe that's, that's, you know, a little undergrown or, or a little overgrown, but, you know, you work your way through it and, and, uh, but those old farm covers are great. And we have some, some classic ones here with, you know, with the old stone walls and them type thing and the, and, uh, apple trees and then, you know, hawthorn clumps and just absolutely very magazine quality stuff. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. it, that, that, uh, you see paintings of type thing. And, and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a few in particular that just you know, really stand out to me that are my, you know, again, kind of a go-to cover type thing, just because of the beauty of them. Uh, those old stone walls are, are, are just the things, things of beauty, really, and mixed in with the, you know, with the with the alders and popple and some hardwoods, and you know, the colors changing, and it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's great stuff for sure. Yeah, my my uh, my next question was was going to be: Does it get as romantic as a as a stone wall and a, and a few abandoned apple trees? But you answered that question, so yeah, that that's 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 great. I I have not had the pleasure of of hunting a cover like that, but it's, it's on my bucket list. I'd love to I'd love to get out there and do that someday. That's that's fantastic stuff. Yeah, you know, there's there's some of them like I said are just they're so beautiful. You just have to literally stop and you know. You know, I, I know this, this one cover in particular that I, you know, that I, I go to, you know, a few times a fall, and and it is it is absolutely breathtaking. It's like I say, it's right out of, you know, a number of paintings and prints, and and uh, you know, just it's one of those places that you just can't help but stop and just look at it. I mean, and say, wow, this is, you know, this is what it's all about. So, and 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 it is. I mean, you know such a big part of of hunting is 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 just you know getting out in the woods and seeing that stuff and and you know you know being a part of it and uh you know it's uh it's 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 great stuff for sure yeah yeah absolutely you know and you know i i, I haven't hunted covers like that but i can share in the feeling because when you when you get out in the woods year after year i think you just obviously you enjoy it if you're if you're going to continue to get out there but you can't help but your your mind your memories start to all sort of overlay and interlace with with certain settings and and different scenes especially if it, you know if it's the same place that you visit every year but for me it it usually involves you know a big a big white pine or a red pine something like that you know in the covers that we hunt something that's that's iconic and and timeless and it just yep. kind of it stirs it stirs things up when you're when you're standing out in the middle of the woods on a on an October November day. I mean, it, it's that's that really is what it's about, like you said. Yeah, no, no, no question about it. And, and uh, like I say, and some of our, our river covers as well, our river bottom covers, where I mean, where you're walking along the shore type thing, and, and you're you know heading into a cover, so you got the you got the river there as well, and and uh, and uh, you know just just a perfect setting, and and. Uh, so much fun to be a part of for sure. Hard to hard to call it work most days. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I believe that, Jason. Well, before we transition off of cover, I want to ask you about an article that you wrote and submitted to the Pointy Dog Journal. I you had uh, I had either found you on Twitter, or you'd pointed it out to me, and I I saw your cover photo on Twitter 
I can't believe I I can't believe I put two and two together, but I I recognize <laughs> I recognize the photo from an article in Pointing Dog Journal where a guy was talking about uh, using a drone to scout for yeah. grouse cover. So that uh, that article happened to be written by you, Jason. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, well, that was just a, it was a, an experience I had here a few years back from a, a client that you know I'd been coming up for a long time and and. Uh, he, he uh, hasn't been coming the last couple of years with health problems, but uh, but uh, uh, he's kind of heavy into the tech type thing. And uh, anyway, one of the one year, uh, was I was like 2000, maybe 16, I guess. He brought this drone up. Anyway, so we were we were hunting this cover and uh, and uh, kind of a special cover for for us in a lot of ways because his young Brittany had his uh, had her first point there. Um, you know, ten or twelve years earlier, type thing, and cool. and so so you know we had, we had nicknamed it uh, after the dog, and uh, so you know we always kind of went back to that cover every year with with great fondness from you know remembering that first point type thing, and anyway we were there one day and we were hunting, hunting uh, the cover, and and uh, you know there was a lot of a lot of sign or a lot of chalk, a lot of you know whatever, but no. You know, not a lot of birds. So anyway, we come back to the truck, and I, I said, you know, why don't we throw that drone up and see what, you know, just just for fun here, see what's around. And so anyway, we did, and we you know, kind of went around the cover and looking at the, you know, the spots we knew type thing. And I said, let's take it back over the tree line there and see what see what's there. And geez, uh, lo and behold, there was a a second field in behind there that that uh, you know I didn't didn't know was there. I mean, it, and I kicked myself. <laughs> afterwards because i'd seen you know the old tote road going through the, the woods type thing and and uh you know if i had followed it for three or four hundred yards i'd uh, have walked right into to another field and anyway so we uh we went back and you know did a loop around that field and you know had, had some great hunting and and you know there wasn't wasn't a sign of another hunter had ever you know had been there i mean there no dog tracks in the mud no no you know holes on the ground no ribbons on any trees it was just a you know just a little pocket of paradise and you know that we had kind of stumbled onto so it was a it was it was very fun so it was kind of a like a very unique and memorable little experience so i, I had uh, put that on paper for the the heck of it and see what happens and and uh and uh so i i uh, wrote it up and and uh, got some little little help from my my dad is a is a writer and he's written oh, cool. a, a, a good bunch of books so he helped me with the editing and and uh, and another guy that I guide all the time Duncan Burns from uh, kind of the old field and stream editor um, he's been, been guiding him for years and he helped me with some editing on it as well and and. Uh, so I sent it off to to, to Pointing Dog, and he's to my surprise, they <laughs> they, uh, they they accepted it. So it was it was great to have it there and uh, and see it, and and it was a it was very special for me. It's a magazine that I read my whole life, and, and uh, you know, it's, I was in it one time before I had guided Tom Hugler years ago, and oh, uh, sure. and Tom come up and did a did a story on, you know, woodcock and grouse hunting here in New Brunswick, and I was lucky enough to, to guide them, so 
So uh, yeah, to be in a to be in a magazine with him for me was a was a a real special treat for sure. Yeah, very cool, very cool. I I, I really enjoy the Point Dog Journal. I'm gonna I'll be honest and 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 admit here on the podcast that I, my subscription has run out, but I got to renew it because because it is it's one of my favorite magazines. I you know it's have no problems uh, reading that cover to cover. So I'll have to uh, I'll have to re up my subscription. I don't want to miss another one of your articles, Jason. Well, I, uh, I I got another one in the queue here. I'll see how it goes. I, I had a <laughs> we'll see how it goes. I, I, I wrote another one here about a, 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 another pretty unique experience I had here. Um, yeah, last fall. No, not last fall. The fall before again. Um, was a, uh, a a doctor from Buffalo had come up and eighty four years old. Um, you know and. Uh, we were into this big hedgerow cover and making our way through it type thing. And, and, uh, his, his young setter went on point. And anyway, so I, I said, uh, you know, watch doc, this is probably a grouse. I said, you know, some apple trees here. So I did a little loop around, uh, the apple trees and this grouse, uh, family of grouse busted there in every direction. <laughs> anyway, it was not to give away too much of my story, but he, yeah. uh, he, he fired a shot and, uh, Anyway, and ended up uh, knocking down two birds with the, with the one shot, and uh, you know neither one of us had uh, had uh, seen the other guy's bird fall, so or the other bird fall. So I went you know towards the bird that I seen fall, and uh, he was trying to pull me off to go in another direction, and and uh, so we ended up getting getting two grouse there with one with one shot, and like I say, you know I didn't see the bird fall that 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 he did, and he right. didn't see the bird fall that I did, so. Wow, eighty-four anyway, years time. old. Had he was was that his first double? That was his first Scotch double. Yeah, that was the first one. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah, that's he, pretty he was, awesome. Yeah, it was our first first morning of the trip type thing. It was a uh, you know Monday morning, our first cover actually. And uh, he said, you know, my my trip is made. He said, I've been hunting. <laughs> he said, I've been hunting my whole life. He said, I've never done that before. And anyway, I, I, I took a picture of the uh, of him and. Uh, Anyway, so I wrote that up too. We'll see. You know, I'll, I'll send that in and see see what happens. Cool, cool. And, well, uh, but, do you do you do a lot of writing, Jason? Or I mean, do you do a lot of writing and journaling? Is that kind of where it stemmed from, or do you just kind of experiment a bit with with stories you like? Well, not really. I was approached uh, a couple of years earlier by the the Miramichi Salmon Association. Here was putting together a book, uh, uh, kind of a, a guide's tale type book. Okay. And uh, so they asked me if I would, you know, write a story for them for the book and kind of as a fundraiser type thing, they would put together this book that they would sell and, you know, put money towards the, uh, you know, the salmon conservation. So I was happy to, to try. I said, you know, I'll throw something together, see what I can do. So so I, I, I put together a story and uh, and uh, gave it to them. And lo and behold, again, it made it, it, made it into the book. So. I was, uh, I was, you know, pretty excited about that. So, so I, I, you know, I, when the, when the, the drone situation came along, I said, I'm going to try that again. So anyway, so that, that's really just, it's been very new. I'm not into journaling. I, like I say, I, uh, grew up in a writing family. My dad is a, a writer and my, his brother, my uncle, uh, um, very successful writer as well. So I, 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 I you know, kind of, grew up amongst writers as well so it's sure. maybe in my genes a little a little bit so <laughs> so 
anyway, we'll see you know, if, uh, if I carry on with it or not. Uh, I got a few more ideas of, of, of experiences I might want to put down too. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I mean, you've obviously been at it for as long as you have, you got a lot of stories and, and I can tell you like to tell stories and that's, that's part of what makes it so much fun. So if you can put a, put pen to paper a little bit, it, it can, uh, can add another element to some of those memories, I think. Well, there's, there's no question about it. And, and spending the, the amount of days on the on the river and in in the woods that I do, I mean, you get to see a lot of things that most people don't get to see. Yeah. And it's and and it, it is it is good to you know to, to put that down and to, to share a little bit of of uh, you know what you're seeing and and even even with with social media. I mean, that uh, being able to. To you know, share stuff that you see on a daily basis on the river that most people don't get to see, and and, and in the woods, it's uh, it's kind of fun. You know I mean, it's kind of fun to be able to do that, and and, uh, and I enjoy looking at at uh, you know stuff from you know people I've I've you know follow you know fishing and, and fishermen and hunters from all over the world, and yeah. it's it's fun to see it's fun to see how they're making up dove shooting in Argentina or you know whatever. It's just just fun to see fun to see that and uh, kind of gives you a little bit of taste of you know what what's happening in other places and yeah it's fun it's, it's, it's fun yeah definitely you, you know you talked a little bit about sort of that that fraternity between between hunters and fishers and and i think it's you can the internet obviously has made some of that stuff a little bit more accessible and available and and you know that that you may not know the person or you may have never been to the place that he or she is but they probably have a similar appreciation for what they're doing to what, to the appreciation that you have. So I think you kind of have that connection and it, it makes, uh, makes the world a little bit smaller place, I guess. Yeah, there's, there's no question. I mean, you, uh, you meet people that, uh, you know, just had a, a salmon dinner here a, a month or two ago. I, I met a fellow that I had, that I had been chatting salmon fishing bird dogs with, uh, you know, a lot of times over a couple of years, but you know, didn't didn't know him uh, until I, I met him. But uh, you know, I felt like I knew him because I know his dog's name, and I know. And <laughs> yeah, and, I, know, I know and, that feeling. And, and uh, so it's uh, it, it is fun. So it's it's just another element to it, and, and uh, you know, just being able to to, to share experiences and and. and uh, learn a little bit from from other people in other places it's, it's all good yeah um back to the drone story real quick was, yeah. was that enough of an experience for you to start carrying a drone around in your truck or or are you leaving <laughs> that to somebody else yeah i i got a a, a, a good buddy of mine that, that has one and uh, so if uh if i'm um you know in the need for, for one then I, i'll I'll, I'll give Ashley a call, but uh, <laughs> other, than, other, than, other than that, I, I do use though that you know some of the satellite imagery a little bit. Uh, you know, we have one site here called Geo Geo New Brunswick, and uh, it's kind of a Google Earth, Google Earth type site where yeah. where uh, you know you can go on and zoom in and, and uh, look at areas. And I mean, it's it's pretty detailed. I mean, you can. I look at my house and I can see my car parked in the yard type thing. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, so they they've become a pretty 
pretty good tool actually for for looking for covers and looking for spots and and you know now that I got burned on the on the drone cover I I I, uh, I, I, I know now that there's stuff maybe close by that I'm missing so so I uh, been looking at that quite a bit and, and finding things I mean uh, once you get onto it I mean you know the leaves are all different colors I mean even when they're green so you know, you can literally tell some of them that, you know, okay, that's popple. That's, yep. you know, that's, that, that's alder. That's, so, I mean, that's the place I got to go and try to find. I got to look at that spot. And, uh, and also, I mean, you're, you're looking at, you know, some of the, some of the big covers, uh, maybe you're, you're missing spots. Uh, so, you know, you can, you can look and say, okay, there is an old, you know, there's another back corner there that I haven't got to. So, so, you know, that, that technology is, uh, is uh, it's, it's fun to play with, and it's just another tool, really, to to you know to to find spots and to see what's out there. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you put it perfectly in that it's a tool. Um, you know, I've I've used it use it a lot in the last few years because the the tools are getting a lot better, and the the imagery that we have and the availability, and I, th- I think oftentimes it gets a little bit the discussion gets a little bit confused in that. People, people are quick to point out that you got to have boots on the ground, boots on the ground. And while that is absolutely true, I think the these tools are not meant to replace boots on the ground. Nothing can replace boots on the ground. No. It's, it's, it's supplementary and complementary to boots on the ground. And, and it can, it can shorten the, shorten the search oftentimes when, oh. when you have limited time. Yeah, no, and that's exactly it. Short in the search, we're all on a, on a on a time frame here. I mean, we're all busy trying to trying to do our things, and you know, you got you know, you got your scouting time that you're you're trying to look for it and look for new spots. And so, if you got this, like you say, the tool to to supplement your 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 search. So, I mean, you, you know that this is a road worth looking at, or this one is not worth looking at. So, yeah. it uh, it's just just another another little bit of bit of help. Yeah, absolutely. Now, earlier you mentioned that that you know the dogs the dogs are what really what's important to you out in the field, and you enjoy watching them. And you'd be you'd be all right not carrying a gun, but but with all this time guiding and and uh, setting up other people on hunts, do you do you get to carry the gun yourself a little bit? Uh, well, actually, while we're guiding here, we're not allowed to, okay. to carry a gun. Yep. Uh, our, our guiding regulations here uh, don't don't allow us to uh, to carry a gun. So. Sure. So, but I, I do get, you know, I do get my time. Like I say, I usually don't book any guests after Halloween type thing. I usually take that for, for, for Jason time. And, <laughs> awesome. Uh, awesome. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 I'm very busy, you know, from now till Halloween. It's, you know, it's, it's all of a sudden it's here. And yeah. so it's, it's, so once that time comes, it's kind of time for me to, to get out in the woods myself. My, my wife loves to go. She doesn't shoot, but she loves to go out and, and uh, you know, walk through the covers and watch the dogs work and stuff. So we awesome. go a lot. My, my, my two brothers, they, they hunt with me. They both have Bernies and, and, uh, and, uh, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's all, it's, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. You know, that, your your brother he's he's the one that actually contacted me first and and suggested I have you on the podcast so I'll have to thank him because uh, this has been fun uh but I but I do think that you know as far as I'm concerned we could probably never introduce enough people to hunting 
you know, you and I talked about this a little bit yesterday and that there's, there's not too many people in the grand scheme of things. There's not too many people that do what we do. And that is, that is both good and bad. And that sometimes you can be out there all alone, which we like on those days, but, but we do need to kind of make sure that there's people coming behind us. And I, I, what I wanted to get at was you mentioned your wife likes to go out and go for a walk. And, and I think if you wanted to introduce somebody to hunting, I mean, there's not too many better times, I think, to go for a walk and, and just get off of a trail, go for a walk through the woods in late October, November. I mean, cause you're warm, you're comfortable. Usually the weather is, weather's okay. And you're, you're, you, you can stay warm and, and you can really, I think you can really show people some, some cool places in, in that time of year. Yeah, no, there's, 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 there's no question about it. And, and you're right. I mean, the, there's, there's not a lot of guys doing it. I mean, uh, there's just a handful of, of, of guys in, in the area here that, that, uh, you know, that are tagged professionally for bird hunting. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very small fraternity. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll get a call from, uh, from a client and say, you know, I'd like to, like to, to come hunting the third week of October. And, you know, I'll say, well, geez, you know, I'm, I'm booked up and maybe, maybe to give Brett a call. And he goes, well, I called Brett and he told me to call you. And <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, 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 it's one of those things. I mean, there's not a lot of guys doing it. Um, you know, we got three or four lodges here that, that, uh, cater to bird hunting hunters pretty well. And, uh, and, uh, you know, so there's some good opportunity to come here for, you know, from anyone who's, who's listening to this that thinks they might want to come to try some hunting in New Brunswick. You know, there's, there's certainly lodges here that, that, uh, that offer that and have some good qualified guides that, uh, that, that do it. And, and, uh, you know, but there's just not, not a lot, not a lot of it. You know what I mean? Like I say, we, there's just a handful of us really in the area that are doing it. And there's some, there's some guys that have dogs and, and, you know, just hunt themselves type, type thing. But, and, uh, but for the most part, you know, there's, the, the covers get very little pressure, really. I mean, uh, you know, it's just, just, uh, just a few of us out there. And, uh, and, uh, you know, some, some spots there, you know, we all have our secret spots and there's also, there's also spots that, you know, we all kind of, kind of hunt in some of the bigger areas and, and, uh, but uh, but it's 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 fun it's it's fun to see and, and fun to be a part of and and, and uh, it is it is a little concerning. I mean, like I say, there's not a lot of guys doing. It. We have a lot of hunters here. I mean, New Brunswick is is a very you know very rural, and everyone grew up hunting here. Uh, sure. You know, and bird hunting, and and uh, you know, transition into deer hunting and moose, and, and you know, so you know, we have a very very long-standing hunting tradition here in, in, in New Brunswick, but uh, not not a lot of upland guys that you know do it with dogs type thing. Uh, so it's uh, it's both good and bad, like you say. Yep. Two more questions here before I let you go, Jason. Number one, I, we were talking about cover and, and uh, land a little bit. Do you hunt mainly, or what what percentage of public land do you hunt? Would that be that be crown land? It sounds like you're definitely hunting some public land. I would say the majority of the land we hunt here is is uh, is uh, you know privately owned type thing. Okay. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, like, like I say, especially the old abandoned farm covers. I mean, we sure. have, we hunt a lot of those, and uh, you know, because you know the hunting tradition here in New Brunswick is so strong. 
you know, getting access to those is not hard at all. I mean, okay. uh, you know, people are very open here to, to hunters, especially bird hunters. I mean, uh, it's 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 one thing if you're walking through the woods with a deer rifle, people may, maybe get a little little nervous. But yep. if you're out there with, with your dog, and I mean, I ask permission, uh, you know, everywhere I go or anywhere, in any way that I can find it, uh, you know, for, for these properties, and, you know, I never have a problem. I mean, I'll, I'll come a door and, and, and say, you know, I'd like to, you know, maybe take my little dog in your, your backfield there and see what's around for woodcock. And, <laughs> and uh, there's like, yeah, absolutely help yourself, uh, you know. And it's, 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 it's absolutely, you know, you know, never a problem. Uh, you know, there is a posting, um, uh, policy here, not a policy, but we do have a, a posting pr- procedure here. If you do want to post your property, it's posted with, uh, you can either have a red disc or a yellow disc if you, if you want to post it at all. Okay. If there's no posting, that means, you know, you can just basically, you know, feel free type thing. Yeah. If it's uh, if it's posted with a yellow disc, that means you need to ask permission to go in there. So and uh, so there's, but if you do post it, there's got to be a phone number on it so you can reach the landowner. Sure. So so you can you know if if you if you're driving by a piece and you see a yellow disc on a, on a section, you, know, you can track down the landowner and ask them. And and again, that's usually you know they've done that because of. You know, maybe maybe uh, not wanting someone back there with a deer rifle type thing. And, yeah, yeah. And if they don't want anyone there at all, they post it with a red disc, and that means no hunting. And even by the landowner, you can't. Uh, if you post it red, then even the landowner is not allowed to hunt. It's it's uh, so you can't kind of post it and have your own little sanctuary type thing. Uh, uh, you know, you can post it yellow and not give anyone permission if you want to do that, but uh, you can't. You know, if you post it red, then it's no hunting to anybody. So. Yeah. yeah. So, and there is some of that. I mean, there's some, you know, and that's that's fine. I mean, we respect everyone's, you know, views on that. And if they Definitely. don't want people there, then we don't, you know, we stay away. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, uh, but. Yeah. So, all right. One more question for you. When you do get, when you do get to go go hunting and you got you got jason time and then uh the the calendar strikes november what what do you carry for a shotgun out there i i'm in love with the 28 gauge I mean, right. that's my that's my go-to gun i mean uh like i'm saying about our covers are, are, are sick and uh for me the 28 is a perfect little gun i have a little Ruger red label 28 with a, <laughs> a straight stock a straight stock on it and uh it's just a perfect fit for me. I mean, I shoot, I shoot well with it, uh, you know, and, and uh, most of our shots are, are very close anyway, especially with woodcock. And like I say, our covers are thick. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, later on in the season when, when all the leaves are down, uh, you know, the, the biggest move I might make would be tighten, tightening my chokes a bit and sure. go to a heavier shot and, and, uh, and uh, you know, go from there. But, but uh, you know, I've, I've had, I've had 12 gauges and 20s and 28s, and then for me, uh, I got this little 28 years ago, and, and uh, that's 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 all I take. I just grab that and go, and it's light and easy to carry, and I, you know, it just fits me, and I shoot well with it. Yep, yeah, that's a that's a dandy little gun. I, it was wasn't too long ago, a few years ago at least. I was getting into i wanted to buy my first over under in a in a in a, a mentor of mine he, he took me deer hunting when i was younger and and uh, he was a big bird hunter he 
he uh, he borrowed me a 28 gauge Ruger Red Label over and under with a straight stock. So same gun. And yeah, I, I, I carried yeah. that. I carried that for pretty much a whole season. And man, that is there, there's a reason that that people on uh, internet forums and and uh, little circles they uh, they speak very highly of those guns because they are they are special little bird guns. Yeah, for sure. So I guess and for for woodcock, I mean, it's just it's just perfect. I yeah, it's like light shot i mean you're not you're not uh blowing birds up i yep. mean it's just it's just uh just a perfect little little woodcock gun for sure yeah absolutely well jason this has been this has been a ton of fun i i can't thank you enough for for joining me on the project upland podcast we could we could chat about birds and dogs and guns for all evening i'm sure but i i really yep. really appreciate it uh appreciate you coming on the podcast and i wish you the best this uh fishing season and into the fall and and we'll uh, we'll hopefully keep in touch and and maybe we'll maybe we'll read a read another one of your stories in in pointy dog journal here pretty soon yeah we'll see hopefully so but, uh, no i'm very very happy to, to to be a part of it and, and uh glad i'm your first uh canadian yeah. So that's good. Yep. 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 We appreciate that. And, uh, you, you put, you put Canada on the map for the project upland podcast now. So we appreciate that, Jason. Uh, thanks again, man. Uh, take care. Let me know if I can never do anything for you and, uh, good luck this yep. season. Great. Perfect. Thank you very much. All appreciate right. it. Have a good night, Jason. See you. All right. You too. Bye-bye. been listening to the project upland podcast that does it for this episode as your host i would like to personally thank you for listening to this episode of the show and remind you that we are brought to you by our friends at pine ridge grouse camp and onyx maps head over to projectupland.com we've got it all for you there articles videos more great stuff from project upland and northwoods collective check it out at projectupland.com and don't forget You could be next week's winner of the Project Upland Podcast gear giveaway. All you have to do is subscribe to this podcast, hit that little subscribe button, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and share the podcast post. You could be next week's winner. Also, we would love to hear from you. Please use the contact form at projectupland.com or send me an email directly at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. We could talk about bird dogs. We could talk about shotguns. We could talk about hunting trips you have planned. We can talk about future podcast guest suggestions. I would love to hear from you. Send me an email. That's it for this week's episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx.
Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.